The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Oh, pray with me. Father, what a week. This has been a week of frustration and fear and anger. A week of where we're tempted to worry. And oh, how we need to sing these songs. To be reminded that you are our refuge and strength. That Jesus is a solid rock. That you are with us. That your spirit indwells us and helps us. And comforts us and gives us hope no matter the circumstances. Give us wisdom to be ambassadors of Jesus that glorify you. And our hope, our trust is in you. Pray for peace and comfort because of Jesus to be upon your people and for your word to, that you would speak through your word, Lord. Bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in John 15. And our text is verses 6 through 11. If anyone does not abide in me, Jesus says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you... Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. What a blessing God's word is. What a blessing to know that Jesus is the vine, that it's because of him that we bear fruit. What a blessing to know that the the Father and all of his perfect wisdom and knowledge and power that he cares for us, that he prunes us, painful as it may be, prunes us for good, that we might bear good fruit for him. And connected to that is joy that we've just read. This illustration that Jesus gives, in it we see the sovereign blessings of God. And yet we also hear what we must do. We must abide in Christ. Jesus says something incredible about the love that he has for us, a love that should compel us to stay close, to hear his heart through his word, to commune with him in prayer, to be a part of his body, the church. And Jesus also gives us four great results, four blessings that come to us when we abide in him. So that's our focus this morning. I want us to to think about the love with which we are loved, 
how that compels us to abide in Christ, and then the, the blessings, the results of abiding in Christ. Jesus is the true vine. Apart from him, we can do nothing. The Father sovereignly prunes us for the sake of making us more fruitful in him. And we are told to be fruitful. And that the only way for this to happen, for us to be fruitful, is through Christ. And this will only happen if we abide in him. So, how do we abide in Christ? I touched on this last week, saying that we abide in him through his word through his church, and through prayer. These are means of grace that he has given to us, provisions of God that we cannot neglect if we are to commune, if we are to abide in Christ. To abide means to dwell, to remain. I like how J.C. Ryle explains it. He said, to abide in Christ means to keep up a habit of constant close communion with him. To to be always leaning on him, resting on him, pouring out our hearts to him, and using him as our fountain of life and strength, as our chief companion and best friend. To have his words abiding in us is to keep his sayings and precepts continually before our memories and minds, and to make them the guide of our actions and the rule of our daily conduct and behavior. Those are good words. What kind of relationship to their parents would children have if they thought, well, my parents have to take care of me. You know, they'll, they'll get into trouble with the law if they don't take care of me. Or... The neighbors are going to think poorly of them if they neglect me. If that was it. But isn't the relationship completely different when you know that you know that you know that your parents deeply and truly love you? Jesus encourages us to abide in him, and he wants us to know that we know that we know that he deeply loves us which makes me wonder, what is your relationship to Jesus like? What is my relationship to Jesus like? Is it, is it out of obligation? Is it fear-based? Is it maybe because that's all you know, you've grown up in the church, and that's, that's just all you know, and so you take that for granted? What, and, and related to that, what do you think is Jesus' thought towards you How do you perceive Jesus' thought towards you as a believer? Are you somewhat paralyzed in your spiritual life because you assume he just must be disappointed with you? And if this is your thought, then who wants to pour out their heart and spend time with someone who is disapproving, whose face is always a frown and continually says, look at all I've done for you, and this is how you live. Is this your view of Jesus? We can easily go there, and Satan wants us to go there because, well, let's be honest, we are fickle. In light of his sacrifice for us, we really don't live appropriately. 
And maybe there are times when we would rather just do what we want instead of what he wants. So maybe there are times when we just avoid him because his perfection makes us feel bad about ourselves. And if this is true, then why would you want to spend time with him? Why would you pour out your heart to him? Why would you spend tons of time with him? But Jesus says something incredible in verse 9. This is one of those examples, at least for me, a passage that I've read a lot of times, and this time around, verse 9 really stood out to me. Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And with this in mind, he says, Abide in my love. Have you read that a bunch of times? And I just, I want you to really focus on that. Just as the Father loves Jesus, so Jesus loves you if you're in Christ, if you're robed in his righteousness, if you're cleansed by his blood. Jesus compares his love for you with the way that he is loved by the Father. That's incredible. When you really meditate on that today, it's amazing. We sometimes think that Jesus' love for us consists entirely of mercy and compassion. But is the Father's love for Jesus a matter of mercy? Does the Father love Jesus out of pity? Now, certainly the love that we receive does include mercy and compassion and pity. But evidently, Jesus is telling us that there's something more to his love for us. Something that's actually the same as the Father's love for him. The Father does not pity the Son. No, he delights in the Son. He approves of the Son. He desires fellowship with the Son. And if we follow this comparison, we hear Jesus say, I delight in you. I approve of you. I love to spend time with you. I love to bless you. This is what Jesus says to everyone who is cleansed by his blood. Have you ever said or thought the following? Yeah, I I love him, but I don't really like him. I love that person, as I'm supposed to, or or I do, but I don't really enjoy being around that person. I don't like them. Well, Jesus not only loves you, he actually likes you. If you are in Christ, he likes you. He's your friend. And think of one of the main biblical pictures given to us. Jesus is said to be the groom, and you are the bride. Guys, if you're married, did you marry your wife because you felt sorry for her? Probably not. I hope not. Doubtful. Well, neither did Jesus. No, you married her because you longed for her. You delighted in her. You couldn't wait to spend the rest of your life with her. 
Scripture describes God rejoicing and singing over his bride. So Jesus tells us here that he loves us with great joy and delight. And if we really know this kind of love, then wouldn't this make a difference in our desire to be with him and to hear from him and to pour out our hearts to him and to obey his commands? How much better, how much greater will be our obedience to Christ when we do so knowing his love instead of threats or fear or obligation? And yes, we are obligated, and yes, we should have a fear of God, but Jesus appeals to us with the highest of all kinds of love, a love for us that is like the Father's love for him. And that is safe. And that is good. And maybe a lot of our struggles exist because we either don't realize this depth of love or it just seems too good to be true. But it's true. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus that is better than you can fully grasp. There's no sane reason to avoid him, to not abide in him. And even... Our obedience is shown to be a pursuit of love. When Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Jesus obeyed his father for the sake of enjoying that loving relationship. And we should do the same. We get to. We get to enjoy the love of Christ. And we experience this by keeping his commands. Jesus submitted to the will of the father out of love. And parents, you get this, because you desire for your children to obey, not out of duty, not in self-righteousness, not out of fear, well, maybe a little bit of fear, but mostly in the knowledge that they're loved and with a desire to enjoy that loving relationship with mom and dad. For us, obeying Christ is an expression of love. With the knowledge of his great love, wanting to abide, to be close, to enjoy our relationship with him, which will always prove to be a greater pleasure than choosing sin. So Jesus appeals to his disciples with the motive of his love. And as we abide in him, he gives us these four great outcomes, these four great blessings or results. First. Abiding in Christ delivers us from the judgment of God. And, oh, we take this for granted. Jesus teaches this in verse 6 in negative terms, saying, if anyone does not abide in me, here's what happens. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you know the love of Christ, if you abide in him, remaining in him, enjoying a relationship with him, you will be fruitful. And you are delivered from God's judgment. And therefore, the contrast is that if we don't abide in him, and there is no fruit, and there should be no assurance, and maybe you're one of these dead branches, After all, remember the the context, what's going on, or what just occurred 
one of his close disciples, who sure looked like a branch, just left, choosing not to abide, choosing the pleasure of power and money instead of choosing to abide in Christ. He chose to betray Christ. And he became the son of destruction, and he fell under the just judgment of God. Jesus is, in this illustration, he's not speaking about unbelievers in general, but about those who have an appearance of believing. And Jesus says that this sad reality is revealed by their lack of fruit. And this illustration really goes back to the Old Testament. A background for this teaching is found in Ezekiel 15, where the prophet points out that the wood of the vine, if it does not bear fruit, is good for nothing. He says, is the wood taken from it to make anything? Do people take a peg from it to hang any vessel on it? In other words, it's not even useful to make a little peg to hang something on, this dead branch of the vine. And the prophet goes on to say, it's not even good for fuel. It just burns up too quickly. It's good for nothing. This prophecy was a warning of judgment to Israel, and eventually Jerusalem fell to Nebuchadnezzar. And yet the ongoing application that was true in Jesus' day and all throughout church history and in our day today The truth, the application is, God has no use for fruitless religion. A profession of faith in Jesus that does not bear fruit, does nothing else. It's just fruitless religion. And isn't this the point of James when he wrote, Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Wood by itself, if it does not bear fruit, is dead. And of course, this isn't to say that we're saved by faith plus works, but that a genuine saving faith is always a faith that will bear fruit, that will do good works. And apart from Christ, we can do nothing. So the first great result of abiding in Christ is that we are delivered from God's judgment, which is cause for great joy. Don't take that for granted. This is cause for great joy. This is what James is after, really, at the beginning of his book when he tells us, count it all joy. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith, it produces something. It produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that, it may be, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The joy isn't about the suffering. No, the joy is in the realization that my faith is real. That in the midst of suffering, I'm abiding. I'm staying. I'm remaining in Christ through this suffering. So I've been delivered from the wrath of God. And this realization is the joy that James is speaking about. A second result that Jesus tells us about is that abiding in him leads to to power in our prayer. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. In essence, this this is really the same promise that Jesus gave us in chapter 14 when he said, whatever you ask in my name, 
This I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Sounds like the same thing. It's really the same promise. Asking in his name means that we ask according to his will. And we know his will, how? By abiding in him. Asking in Jesus' name is is now defined in verse 7 as my words abide in you. If we abide in Christ, then then his words will abide in us. And since his words abide in us, then we'll know his will. And we will love his will. And we will desire what Jesus desires. And we will therefore pray accordingly. And our prayers will be granted because we're going to be asking what Jesus wants. Being in a loving relationship, we know what the other person wants. You spend time with Jesus, you know what he wants. Because I love my wife, Jennifer, I know what she likes. Because we abide together. Because I know her over years of marriage. I know that when I go to Senior Sam's and I'm picking up a meal for her, I know exactly what she wants. She wants a bean and cheese burrito, no sauce, of course chips. And then I take it home and she, is, she says, well done, good and faithful husband. Enter into my, no. Abiding in Christ means that we know him. As we read and study his word, as the Holy Spirit indwells us and teaches us and changes us, then we start to know what he wants. And our requests are going to be according to his will. And God uses this mightily in prayer. You know, Corey Ten Boom tells a story. When she was a little girl, they lived under Nazi occupied in Holland. And she tells a story about her father, Casper, and she evidently heard this prayer. They were in a rough time financially. They couldn't pay their bills. And she heard her father pray asking for the Lord's provision, that someone would come into the shop and buy a watch that would give them the money to pay their bills. And then a couple days later, a man comes in, decides to buy a watch. And in the middle of the transaction, her father heard the man complain about, well, that that other merchant sold me a defective watch. And so her father, Casper, says, let me see the watch. And he looks at the watch, and he says, no, 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 it's, This is a fine watch. You were sold a fine watch. It just needs a little minor repair. And so the man decided not to buy the watch, and he gave him his money back. And Corey said, Papa, what are you doing? Don't you care about paying paying your bills? Don't you care about the situation that, that we're in? And her father told her, well, Corey, it wouldn't honor the Lord. It wouldn't honor the Lord to allow another man's reputation to be wrongly harmed, especially knowing that this other merchant was a believer. So he assured her that God would provide, and just a few days later, another man came in and bought the most expensive watch in the shop, enough to pay all their bills and two years of her education. How simple would it have been for her father to take the money and claim God's answer to prayer It appeared to be that, but he knew God's heart. 
And what a great example for Corey, who saw her father putting obedience to Christ first, and then seeing God's generous answer in prayer. Abiding in Christ brought about a God-honoring obedience, which led to a powerful, faith-filled answer to prayer. A third result of abiding in Christ is that we glorify the Father. Jesus said so in verse 8. He said, by this, by abiding in me, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Our good works, bearing fruit, proves, it proves that we are his disciples. For only his disciples could experience such a, such a transformation fruitful lives that ultimately point to and communicate the greatness of God. God's purpose in our salvation is much more than rescuing us from hell. It's also to transform us, to make us into the image of Christ, which glorifies him. And this is God's purpose for all that he saves, not some, but all. So when when we don't abide in Christ, follow, follow the reasoning. If, if abiding in Christ leads to glorifying, the, leads to fruit which glorifies the Father, then when we don't abide in Christ, what we're doing is denying God the glory that he deserves. Glorifying God is more than saying the right things. It's more than a profession of faith. It's more than singing praise and showing up at church. We are to be a people who glorify God in how we live, in the fruit that we bear for his glory. What do people see when they look at us? Do they see Jesus? Do they see, do they see love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness? Do they see faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Or do they see angry, self-righteous jerks at times? Man, we can go there this week. There's a lot to be frustrated over. We need to be careful in our times. We need to remember who we are and that our fruitfulness is about God's glory, that we exist to glorify him. And it seems we have, we have all these trials. And I, I remember Jerry Bridges in one of his books describing sufferings and trials as opportunities. We have opportunities to glorify God. And so the question is, are we denying the Father the glory that he deserves? What a... What a joyful privilege we have as we pray, as we speak truth and grace, as we live in such a way that actually shows others that we trust God, that our hope is in him. I love what Gordon Ketty wrote. He said, even the hard-hearted world cannot but, uh, cannot but see the hand of God in the saving change of an otherwise corrupt and condemned sinner. The unbeliever may pour contempt on his friend who is converted and gives up his former wicked ways, but he knows somehow that he protests too much and is really covering a deeper amazement at a change that he cannot explain. 
That ought to be true of us. People who knew us before we knew Jesus or have seen us grow in the faith, the only explanation that they should come to is God. If we abide in Christ, we will bear much fruit which communicates the glory of God. Lastly, a fourth result of abiding in Christ is that we, we are filled with joy. Jesus said in verse 11, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You know the world lies when it tells you the pleasures of sin are better. I love John Piper's encouragement just in the use of this phrase that he came up with called Christian hedonism. Hedonism, a term that we think of as being this sinful pagan pursuit, all-out pursuit of pleasure. And Piper uses that and turns it around to teach us that, that as a Christian, Christians of all people, we should pursue joy. Not wasting our time with lesser pleasures of sin, but instead we should pursue an infinitely greater pleasure in God. And when we do this, when we see God as a greater pleasure than anything this world has to offer us, it brings glory to Him. Another way to say this is faith. This is what Hebrews 11 is about. The point of Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, these saints of old denied the sinful pleasures of the world and instead they looked forward to the promise of God, the reward of God. They saw that as a greater pleasure. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth, a greater pleasure than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking in faith to the reward. Moses denied real comforts and earthly pleasures and chose suffering instead. Why? Because he liked suffering? No. It was for the sake of joy. It was for the eventual reward by faith that he looked to. It was for joy. He didn't want to settle. He didn't want to settle for lesser fleeting pleasures. And instead, by faith, he believed that God's reward was greater, more lasting. It was more lasting than the treasures of Egypt, greater than anything this world could offer. And this is the choice for us as well. This is the reason we should choose to abide in Christ. We deny sinful pleasures by seeing Christ's command as love, as joy. And it's a choice. It's, it's one or the other. When we knowingly choose sin, we knowingly disbelieve God. <laughs> we deny Him His glory. We forfeit a joyful reward. And if this direction characterizes your entire life, you should have no assurance 
And you should wonder if you're a dead branch, fruitless, fruitless religion. We can't simultaneously pursue sin and abide in Christ. We can't simultaneously walk east and west. No, we turn from sin. And in faith, we turn, we turn to the pleasures, to the joy of abiding in Christ. And of course, we deal with, with ongoing sin and worldly distractions. But we need to know and believe that sin really does affect our joy. That our disobedience is actually robbing us of joy. And this is why David prayed the way he prayed in Psalm 51. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. David missed the spiritual joy that he previously knew, and he pleaded with God that he would forgive him and restore his presence and therefore his joy. Jesus knows the full joy of the Father. And Jesus loves us and wants this joy for us as well. And so he says in verse 11, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. By abiding in him, our joy will be full. And this isn't to say that we're going to have some Disneyland experience where all our dreams will come true that we'll have health and wealth and prosperity. And we may experience many comforts and many earthly blessings and health and prosperity in life, but this is not what Jesus has in mind. The life of Jesus, the character and mind of Jesus is growing in us and abiding. And this joy was so full in Jesus that even what? Enduring the cross was for the joy that was set before him. Suffering could not extinguish the flame of joy. And the reality is that we too will experience various trials and sufferings. And abiding in Christ will give us this same full joy. Are you worried about the future? Are you just overcome with worry. Where are we headed? What's going on? Everything's crazy. It's upside down. Yeah, but are you worried? Are you choosing the fleeting pleasures of sin? Jesus wants your joy. He loves you as the Father has loved him. He knows that when you faithfully keep his commands, you are abiding in his love. And, as, and the result of abiding in him means that we are we're delivered from God's judgment. We're empowered in prayer. We bring glory to God and we're given fullness of joy. Read and know his word. Listen to him. Know his heart. Go to him in prayer. Pour out your heart to him. Spend time with him. Don't forsake his body, the church, where we have this opportunity to spur each other on to love and good works. Let's pray together.
Our Father, what what an incredible truth to realize that Jesus loves us as you love him. Help us to better know the love of Christ and the blessing that comes to us as we abide in him. Father, it's for your glory. May you be glorified as we as we are connected to the true vine, as the Holy Spirit works in us and changes us so that we bear fruit. May you be glorified in this, Father. Help us to keep this truth in mind during these especially challenging times. Help us to remember who we are, why we exist, who we represent. Lord, help us to abide so that we might better know what you desire and pray according to your will. Thank you for the joy that is ours in Christ, for this fullness of joy. We pray in his name. Amen.